Welcome to WMNF 88.5 FM and WMNF.org. I'm Sean Canan, and this is Tuesday Cafe. It's a show that comes to you every Tuesday at 10 on WMNF 88.5 Tampa. And I bring you uh, some interviews, usually every week, or some other types of forums to play audio or however it works. And you'll get the idea this this hour if you've never heard the show, because what I'm what I've done is I've gotten five or six clips from some of the best shows of the last few months to give you an idea of what the show is all about and why you should support it financially. Here's the number to call, 813-239-9663 or WMNF.org. That's the, the way you can make a, a contribution to support Tuesday Cafe and support WMNF. Well, I'm joined by Randy Zimmerman, who is the new general manager of... WMNF, thanks so much for joining me. Good morning. Real pleasure to be here, Sean. And I want to thank some volunteers who are in the phone room right now who are taking pledges for us during Democracy Now!, one of the best things that we offer as part of community radio. Um, But also, I want you to know, if you call in, you're going to get somebody that you listen to on the radio all the time. So, Alita, thank you so much for answering the phone. Alita's on our Saturday Bluegrass show and filled in just last Sunday on Dr. Bob's 60s show, along with Tom Collins, also in the house answering phones. Uh, volunteer extraordinaire. Thank you, Tom. And Megan, Megan Bowman, who does both headlines and is the host of The Dorm Room on Thursday nights from 6 to 8. And Cassie, who sits in with Robin on Wednesday nights. So if you call right now, you will speak to one of the programmers that you listen to and love who's on WMNF Airwaves right now. And it's really important that you do so. We just now played five minutes of NPR News Headlines. I, I cannot even share how much I'm, I'm uh, how much NPR News costs community radio. So your donation, whatever that is, whether you have the the funds to give us a thousand dollars, you can become a member of our circle of friends, which means you contribute just a little bit every month towards that goal of whatever you want to contribute on your tax deductible donation to community radio because we are a five hundred one c three. Give us a call eight one three. Two three nine nine six six three, or for those of you who are listening to us on streaming on your computer, on your PC, or your Mac, your Apple, your Linux, your Unix, whatever yeah. you're listening to us, or on the app, hit that tip jar, hit the donate button, contribute to your favorite community radio station. And Randy, I want to say that we have a goal of one thousand wow. dollars this hour. So I think that uh, you know that that would be generous donations from our listeners, but I think we can do it with your help. And to help you to help us to get to that goal, we have a $250 challenge from Anonymous in Sarasota. And Anonymous will donate that $250 if we get five listeners to donate $50 or more to join the Circle of Friends at the level of $10 a month. So please join the Circle of Friends or donate $50 straight away. By calling 813-239-9663. Well, we just need five of those five to, to reach our, our $250 challenge. Wonderful. Five people. Give us a call. 813-239-9663. And, but you're donating most of all for the programming. And let me tell you about so the first segment I'm going to play here. This is a couple of months ago on WMNF's Tuesday Cafe. I spoke with residents in northern Pasco County who are trying to protect the rural aspect of their region. In part, that means trying to stop an RV resort near I-75 in the county's rural zone. And we're going to hear here from 
Lisa Moretti, who is the chair of the Rural Citizens Advisory Committee in Northern Pasco County. So here is that clip, and we'll be back to thank you. Please donate at 813-239-9663 or WMNF.org. Well, the committee was started years ago when the county started to develop its comprehensive plan. And we realized that we needed something special for the rural area, which is um, a specific district within Northeast Pasco. And so quite a bit of money was spent. We had consultants brought in, millions of dollars spent to create a plan to design a rural area, lay it out, decide where the boundaries were. And then we realized that we needed to stay on top of that. <laughs> and, uh, so Kelly and I are both part of the same group, but Kelly does more work on their behalf than uh, I do. So kudos to you, Kel. <laughs> That's the voice of Lisa Moretti. But Kelly, what, what would you add to the purpose of that Northeast Pasco Citizens Oversight Committee? And what can you also tell us about the rules maybe for development in that rural boundary? Sure. So there's there's actually kind of a conglomeration of organizations and committees that are all focused on the Northeast Pasco Rural Protection Area. Um, the NERAC committee that Lisa just mentioned, um, the Oversight Committee, that was actually put together by the county commissioners um, because when the Northeast Rural, Northeast Pasco Rural Overlay District was created um, in 2005 or 2006, it was created in response to a proposal for the village of Pasadena Hills and just some overall um, excessive development in that area. And the people in that area, you know, they lived there because it was rural. They wanted it to stay rural. And, it's you know, rural communities are a very important part of our entire um, Pasco ecosystem. So what that, what that uh, overlay did was it created... Um, residential standards um, and, and some additional standards for um, roadways and, um, and things of that nature. And there was a plan to come back at a future time to have commercial standards developed. So uh, the committee that Lisa chaired um, that unfortunately the county commissioners disbanded um, last month um, with no public notice or conversation, uh, I will add, um, that committee was really looking at the commercial standards and essentially what they really were doing was looking at non-residential standards, um, which is a, a little bit larger um, of a of a uh, you know thing to consider, but it was important because in a rural overlay area, you're going to have residential and commercial, and maybe some light industrial, and definitely some agricultural. Um, so it was important to make that distinction. Well, that's and there are a couple of community groups, um, one of which I'm part of, that you know doesn't have any authority, um, but is a fantastic organization of civic-minded and engaged citizens who um, are really the ones pushing to make sure that the commission is doing what they said they were going to do. I was going to add that I think it's really important that people understand that the people in the rural area are not naive enough to think that development isn't coming our way. We get that and we anticipated that and that's why the comprehensive plan was laid out the way that it was. Our whole point is is that we came to an agreement and we decided where those commercial aspects should be within the county, uh, where those 
and the overlay, uh, where the residential and the density levels should be and uh, how those things would be serviced. Everybody thinks, oh, you just throw up houses, but there are a lot of things that come into play when you do that. So the committee that I was the chair of, part of our job was to say, okay, there are things that are already zoned for commercial and what should be maintained with those? Should there be stuff added? Should there not be stuff added? And most importantly, um, I, I wanna stress that we are sort of the pressure valve for the county. And you can do development, but it should be around centralized nodes. We've, we've opted for this plan of centralized nodes. And that plan then allows for development to happen in a way that the, the county can service it, but the county's always going to have to subsidize it. And so we, by not accessing those services and not requiring the level of service because of our low density, become the, the fail safe for the county's budget and all the county's financial projections are tied to that. <laughs> so it's really important that we be who we are. <laughs> I just wanna make sure that people understand that we aren't, we aren't saying that all development's bad. We just say development should go where we all plan to put it. Well, that was Lisa Moretti, who was the chair of the Rural Citizens Advisory Committee in Northern Pasco County. We also heard from Kelly Smith, who is a candidate for Dade City Commission and is on the Northeast Pasco Citizens Oversight Committee. They were trying to stop an RV resort near I-75 in the county's rural zone. And you can hear this full interview. It's on WMNF.org slash news. And if you think the interviews like this one, talking with people in your community trying to make a difference, if you think that's valuable, please support the station that brings it to you. Donate on the web at WMNF.org or please call 813-239-9663. I'm Sean Canan and this is WMNF's Tuesday Cafe and we're asking for your support this hour. We need to raise $1,000 this hour, but the good news is we have a, a matching grant, a matching gift that is for $250. So if we get five people to donate $50 or five people to join the, to, to join the circle of friends this hour, we will get an additional $250 and that would put us halfway there to our goal. So please give us a call right now, 813-239-9663 if you support interviews like this or donate on the web at WMNF.org. Yeah, I'm Randy Zimmerman, General Manager at WMNF, the best community radio station I know at 88.5 FM. And we really do need your support. Like Anonymous in Lakeland uh, gave us a $100 pledge. Thank you so much from Lakeland. Really appreciate it. And our T-shirt design done by uh, proud Tampa native John Johnson, husband, father of two. John's also a creative director at PDQ, designed album covers and tour shirts for dozens of musicians and bands, most notably Cheap Trick. Enjoys most beer except IPAs. And I, this is one of my favorite loves live music, and really dislikes writing his own bio. Mm -hmm. John, thank you so much for this great t-shirt. It's a buttery, sunny, lovely, lemony color. Not quite bright lemon, but like this buttery color yellow and this retro design with palm trees. It says summer fun and WMNF. And Sean and I are both also wearing other WMNF t-shirt designs because they become history. They become part of who we are, just like you do. And for $88.50, you can get the latest WMNF t-shirt and 
enjoy the history that is WMNF Community Radio, your source of great things and, and interviews and issues like what Sean covered just now regarding Pasco County development. And, and I, I love that last line that you had from her. It's not that we're anti-development. It's just let's make sure it goes in the right places and in the right ways and let's think about it and uh, let's, let's all be part and parcel of this development of this beautiful area that we call home. Uh, so give us a call at 813-239-9663 or hit the tip jar, hit that donate button if you're streaming us now live at WMNF.org or you're listening to us on the app. And one of the thank you gifts that we can offer you is a gift certificate to Red Mesa, the great restaurant in St. Petersburg. It's a $50 value. And if you donate $100 or more, or if you donate $10 a month in the Circle of Friends, we can give you this Red Mesa gift card, $50 value. It is, we only have one to offer this program. So please uh, take advantage of this great offer right now. If you donate $100 or more, that's $10 a month in the circle of friends. You can get the Red Mesa gift card, for a 50, which is a $50 value. Please call us now at 813-239-9663 or WMNF.org. And I, I can't say enough about Red Mesa and what a fabulous community member they have been over many, many years. And it just so happens it's also one of the best places to eat in the Tampa Bay area. Thank you so much for being part and parcel of our culture, for being part and parcel of the people who contribute to WMNF and support community radio, just like you do, just like you're listening to us right now and you appreciate the programming that we bring to you, not just every week, but every day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Almost everybody is a volunteer here doing a, just an amazing job. And you call right now. You'll also talk to one of those people that you hear on the air. Thanks, Alita, Tom, Megan, and Cassie. Great programmers, great volunteers. 813-239-9663. And speaking of wonderful community partners, we have, thanks to Phoebe Marinelli, Roland Oates Market, and the staff in Delhi for the breakfast muffins, cookies, and coffee for our volunteers. Nice. They're located at 1021 North McDill Avenue in Tampa. We welcome you back to the family. Thanks for everything you do for WMNF Roland Oates. So thank you for that contribution of food for our hungry volunteers. And they are waiting for your phone call at 813-239-9663. And we'd hope that you show your support there or at WMNF.org. One of our volunteers is taking a call right now, but we have three open lines. So please give us a call right now, 813-239-9663 or WMNF.org. Let's keep some of those volunteers company, right? Alita, if you hear the Bluegrass Show, Tom Collins, who helps out on the 60s show and a variety of other programs, Megan Bowman of The Doorman. D dorm room and Cassie who works with Robin on Wednesdays uh, during our, our afternoon mix give a call see who you're going to get one of our programmers one of our fabulous volunteers who are part of community radio here at WMNF 88.5 FM 813-239-9663 or WMNF.org hit the tip jar hit the donate button or on your WMNF app right there at the bottom of your screen you can hit the tip jar give us a call 813-239-9663 and we've got $250 that we have to raise right now so please give us a hand with whatever you can do to make that possible and as I mentioned earlier that you're listening to WMNF's Tuesday Cafe I'm the show host Sean Canan at every Tuesday morning at 10 and I want to list a few of the topics that I've 
covered in the last three or four months since the last time we came asking you for funds. So this list will remind you of why it's important to support community radio at WMNF. We talked about a new poll where the bills in Florida to ban abortions after 15 weeks and the Don't Say Gay bill were both unpopular among Florida voters. I had an introductory interview with WMNF's new GM, Randy Zimmerman, that I think that a lot of people appreciated. International Women's Day, we had a special on Florida's 15-week abortion ban. I spoke with Blake, Blake High School student Scout Pitlack about a school walkout to protest the Don't Say Gay bill that passed the Florida legislature. And we celebrated other local women on International Women's Day. We had a historian who put Russia's invasion of Ukraine in the context of the NATO expansion. And I'll talk about some of the others in a little bit. But here's a, a, an interview that I did that I think um, is should be very interesting to people. You remember this year there were, a lot, there were a lot of conflicts between Republicans in Florida, including Governor Ron DeSantis and the Walt Disney Company. It started when Disney's CEO spoke out against what critics call the Don't Say Gay Bill as it was moving through the legislature. The bill is called Parental Rights in Education, and it was signed into law by DeSantis. It prohibits classroom instruction related to sexual orientation or gender identity in K through third grade, among other restrictions. But DeSantis and others are hitting back at what they call woke companies like Disney. During an April special session on redistricting, the legislature repealed Disney's special government called the Reedy Creek Improvement District. Before the vote on WMNF's Tuesday Cafe, I spoke with author and environmental journalist Craig Pittman. He used to write for the Tampa Bay Times. Now he's a columnist with the Florida Phoenix. Here's what he had to say about Disney, the 1960s in Florida, and the Reedy Creek Improvement District. You're listening to WMNF Tampa. Please donate at WMNF.org or 813-239-9663. It was very soggy. That was all swampland out there. Uh, there were there were some people who lived there. There was a nice ranch and uh, a couple of other residential areas, but mostly it was, it was swamp. There it had been subdivided for development, but the, the place was just too wet for the development to get off the ground. And uh, Walt Disney knew he needed to build an East Coast theme park because all of the customers were coming to Disneyland from the West. So he wanted to, to have something on this coast. And uh, he had already rejected St. Louis and Washington, D.C. He flew over. Uh, Central Florida on November 22nd, 1963, that fateful day, and looked down and saw that it's all that swampland that was empty of development and also saw that Interstate 4 and the Florida Turnpike would cross near where they were talking about. And he said, okay, this is it. This is the place I want to be. And then they landed and discovered what they'd, what they'd missed that day. Uh, so it, it was a big day for the nation, a big turning point for, for the 60s, but also a pretty big day for Florida that Walt Disney said, we need to build the new place, uh, you know, right there. And they were concerned about, of course, if Walt Disney came in and openly bought a gigantic piece of land in central Florida in the mid-1960s, um, one of the problems for them would be that the price would skyrocket. They would, not, yes. they would have to pay through the nose. So what was their kind of solution and kind of underneath the radar way of going about this land purchase? Well, Disney contacted his attorney in New York, a guy named Wild Bill Donovan, who got that nickname because he led the CIA's predecessor agency, the Office of Strategic Services during World War II. And Donovan said, let me hook you up with a guy I know in Miami named uh, Hellowell. Uh, and Hellowell was this attorney who had worked with the CIA on the Bay of Pigs. He worked on financing some other secret operations. He had contacts within the mafia. 
uh, and was sort of acting as an intermediary between the CIA and the mob to try and assassinate Fidel. In other words, this is a guy who, uh, you know, he was really into moving in the shadows. And so with Hellowell's help, Disney began buying up property using fake corporations. And that way he could disguise the fact that it was Disney buying it. It was, you know, the, the, the Urban Land Institute or something like that. Uh, ironically, you can now see the names of some of those fake companies on businesses along uh, Disney's Main Street, USA. Uh, that, that's sort of an in-joke for the Disney insiders. Our guest is journalist Craig Pittman. You may know him from his writing at the Tampa Bay Times. Now he's a columnist with the Florida Phoenix. And one of the books that he's written is Oh, Florida. And so a lot of this chronicle that we're talking about today is in Oh, Florida. You're listening to Tuesday Cafe, and we're kind of talking about the history of how the Walt Disney Company got into Central Florida and what the special rules were. And eventually we're going to bring it back to today about how those special rules are being reexamined. So you're telling me that Walt Disney excuse me, worked to buy land on the lowdown with people who are affiliated with Cuban counter-revolutionaries, affiliated with the mafia, drug dealers, the CIA, uh, the predecessor to the CIA. That sounds pretty shady for such a family company. Well, you know, it, it's a typical day in Florida, really, when you get right down to it. So so they, they were assembling the land, and what Walt wanted to build there, he knew he needed to build a theme park, but that didn't interest him because he'd already done it once. What he wanted to build was this experimental prototype city of tomorrow, or Epcot, for sure. And he had all the plans kind of drawn up in his mind of what he wanted, but he had cancer and, and died before he could turn it into reality. So his brother stepped in, his brother who was not a dreamer, who had actually been thinking about retiring from the business. But Roy Disney was a very hard-headed businessman and he knew what they needed to build was the theme park to make money first to save the company. And so when news finally leaked out, an Orlando Sentinel reporter figured out who was piecing together all of this land and broke the story and sort of caught then Florida Governor Hayden Burns off guard. They hastily assembled a press conference with Roy Disney and Governor Burns and announced that, yes, Disney has bought all this land and they're planning to build a big theme park here. And of course, and at, at that point, they started leveraging the Epcot idea to get cooperation from Florida legislators. Around then is when Claude Kirk, uh, Republican governor, was elected. And so... Hellowell and uh, the legislators and Kirk all got together. They they assembled all of, everybody in a big theater in Winter Park. And uh, Roy Disney and Hellowell uh, announced that they had something special for him. And they showed a movie clip of Walt talking about this experimental prototype city that he wanted to, uh, it would be very forward looking and so forth. And, uh, you know, yes, they were going to build a theme park. It would be twice as big as Disneyland. But they wanted some special rules set up for Disney in order to create the city. And then they laid out what the rules were. And uh, the legislators, they were like, in, in o Florida, I compared them to the woodland creatures helping out Cinderella. They did everything they could to give her a ball gown. That's what the legislators were like with, with Disney. In 12 days, they passed all the bills that he said he needed. They gave Disney World basically the power of local government, but with a lot of extras. So uh, this Reedy Creek Improvement District was set up so that they could do their own uh, zoning, their own building inspections, their own ride inspections. They have their own fire department. They can even build an international airport and nuclear plant if they want to. And they are exempt from the Sunshine Law. So it's not like you can go in and go through their records. They are a private company that is also a governmental entity, and they act that way. They have bonding authority. They, they have all of this stuff. And it's kind of ironic 
that Carl Hyacin sort of called them out on this in his book, Kingdom Rodent, which is a very funny but nonfiction look at, at Disney World. And so for once, we've actually got a, an issue where Carl Hyacin and Ron DeSantis appear to be on the same page, which really doesn't happen very often. <laughs> well, that's author and Florida Phoenix columnist Craig Pittman speaking in April on WMNF's Tuesday Cafe. And you can watch this full interview on WMNF.org slash news. If you think interviews like this one, who are talking with people in your community, journalists in this case, trying to make a difference. If you think it's valuable, please support the station that brings these kinds of interviews to you. Donate on the web at WMNF.org or call 813-239-9663. You're listening to WMNF's Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canan, and I'm coming to you to ask you for your support during our one-week-long summer fun drive. And uh, we really need a, a great show of support. Randy's going to thank a couple of people in just a second who have already donated, but we do still need a few more donations. I think we've gotten three, and we needed five to help get to a challenge for that would get give us an extra two hundred fifty dollars. So please call eight one three. 239-9663 or donate at WMNF.org. Yeah, donate like Anonymous from Sarasota who's contributing 9292 and picking up a WMNF t-shirt. So I guess that 8850 becomes people just appreciate us so much they want to pay for the postage too. Thank you so much. And Kevin Brady in Clearwater, also in 9292 for a t-shirt. And here's probably my favorite pledge of the day. Margot Lee in Tarpon Springs is not only picking up that uh, gift certificate from Red Mesa, but is joining the circle of friends. And that's what we need, more people to join our circle of friends. And what the circle of friends is, is you can give a one-time donation like these other very generous people did, uh, Sarasota Clearwater and Kevin Brady in Clearwater and Margot Lee. But Margot is is special because she's contributing every month. She's giving a certain amount of money uh, and it really helps us budget and make sure we can pay for all the programming that we bring to you. Pay our electric bill, which is, I don't know if you know, Sean, but it's about $3,000 a month is our electric bill. So if you want to help us pay for community radio, which also has great community activists coming into the station, you're going to hear next uh, next show coming up is folks who bring some of those community activists and really elevates what they do and talks about it in a way that's not some little blurb in a newspaper or some, not some little feel-good story that you might hear on broadcast, but elevates them to a full hour to understand who they are and what they bring, as well as what you do here. And not only, I'm also entertained by the music you play underneath. I mean, you, you had before the, the Santana. Uh, and who are you playing now? Well, this is an instrumental version of Savoy Truffle by the Beatles uh, with the vocals taken out. It was from one of their um, special releases. So here you have it at WMNF, your community radio station, a dude who not only gives you thoughtful interviews, but also thinks about the types of music that he plays underneath while we're asking for money. Uh, 813-239-9663. Let us know how much you appreciate your community radio station because we so need your support. Listener donations is the most secure way that continues WMNF. And it's not just what we play out, but it's also now the folks we're bringing back into the station and all the community things that we're promoting. Like, you can give $60 and a portion of your WMNF pledge, if you wanted to, will go to Habitat for Humanity because this is a reciprocal relationship that's what community is. It's not us dictating, but people coming in, messages going out, us helping people develop their message so that they can communicate. Just overnight programmers galore. I know right now we're asking people to contribute to this midday public affairs, but think of who we are as community radio. 
813-239-9663 or WMNF.org. And I want to remind people that we have a challenge, $250 from Anonymous in Sarasota asking for five listeners to donate $50 or more. We've already gotten three. I'd be really excited to hear two more people to come yeah. call in and donate $50 or more on 88.5 FM. Here's how you can donate. WMNF.org. Or you can call 813-239-9663. I think what I'm going to do now is go to, go to my next interview segment and ask for you to call in while this is on. Again, the number is 813-239-9663 to support interviews like this. Or you can call in it. Uh, you can and donate what's, what's, at WMNF.org. What is this interview about? We're going to talk here about solar power. Okay. And so in March, the Florida legislature passed a bill that would have effectively limited rooftop solar power in Florida. But the legislature passed the bill, but it was vetoed in April by Governor DeSantis. Okay. While HB 741 was still being considered by the Senate, I spoke with two of its opponents. Here's one, Wayne Wallace, who is the founder and CEO of Solar Source. Back in 2008, we had a policy developed called net metering solely uh, electric systems uh, for homes and businesses at that time was very expensive. So we didn't do much with it. And utility companies just said, hey, take it. You know, that stuff's too expensive anyways. And over the years, uh, this net metering, which enables one to uh, synchronize with the electric grid on your home or your business, it enables you to do a one-for-one net metering credit. So if you you know, consume a kilowatt hour of electricity, you can push back a kilowatt hour of electricity. And uh, solar uh, photovoltaics, that's the solar electric panels and inverters and everything you need to have your own, you know, mini power plant on your home or your business. Those costs have come down about 2,000% since 2008. So economically, they make a lot of sense. So maybe the, the most basic way of saying it is if you have solar power on your roof and you're generating solar power, you don't have to pay the, the company for the power that you provide. That is correct. In fact, every person or business that invests in a solar power plant on their home or their business, they're actually doing a service to the electric grid. So they're making it stronger. Uh, they're making it more resilient. Uh, it's more of a microgrid. It's less costly to maintain. Uh, you know, people that have solar systems, uh, the, the value added, the, the, the value of solar is oftentimes 50% greater than the retail number. So it helps everybody wins. It lowers the cost for everyone. That's Wayne Wallace, founder and CEO of Solar Source. We also have Scott McIntyre on the line, CEO and president of Solar Energy Management. We're going to be talking about this bill in the Florida legislature, but I'm trying to kind of set the scene here of maybe the history of solar in Florida and why people have solar power before we get to this bill and how that might change things. Let's say it's a good month for sun, but it's not super hot or super cold. And I don't have to run my electricity that much. And I actually create more power from my solar rooftop than my house uses. I can sell some of that energy back to the grid, back to all the rest of them. So how much would, for example, Duke Energy or Tico pay me for a kilowatt hour of energy versus how much a consumer would pay those companies for that amount? So basically, Sean, you really want to size a solar power plant for your home or your business to offset, you know, 75 to 100% of your electrical load. So it doesn't behoove you to generate more than you use because uh, the utilities only pay what's called an avoided cost after you true up with everything that you use. So the avoided cost is about three cents a kilowatt hour. So we size systems just to do 75 to 100% of people's electrical load. 
And uh, some people say, hey, I'm going to get electric cars. Can we size it up? Uh, you know, that kind of stuff. The electric utilities don't like you sizing up right now. <laughs> they just don't want you to. I mean, they, they don't like energy efficiency. In fact, they hate it. And they don't like rooftop solar. They hate it. Well, we're going to find out more about how much they hate it and how much uh, effort they're putting into harming it, I'm sure, as how you would describe it later in the show. But um, they're going to pay you three cents a kilowatt hour, whereas you're going to pay them a lot more. So there's already kind of uh, built in, maybe you could use the word disadvantage, an advantage that the power companies have. If you have solar, they get to buy it at wholesale and they can sell it back at the retail prices. So the whole reason I set that up is just to get to this point where this bill, House Bill 741. Thank you. House Bill 741. It's moving through the Florida legislature. The premise of the bill is that the power companies think that rooftop people with solar rooftops are kind of harming the rest of us by not uh, um, contributing enough to the upkeep of the grid, for example. So what would that House bill do? There's a House Bill 741, there's a Senate Bill Companion 1024, and these bills would basically cripple the rooftop solar industry in Florida and take us back 20 years. You know, they really, again, you know, electric utilities, they, they're in the business selling electricity, not having people generate it on their home or business. So uh, energy efficiency and rooftop solar, they really just want to, you know, just stop it. Uh, they don't like it, and it's going to harm about 40,000 jobs. It'll stop solar choice for homeowners and businesses that would like to generate their own power. Be solar farmers, essentially. You know, you, uh, you put solar panels in your yard, you put them on your rooftop, and you got your own power plant. And the utility companies, they don't want us being independent. They don't want that freedom of choice. So essentially, uh, this bill is going to kill it's like chopping the legs off the solar industry in Florida. What does it do? Well, the bill, exactly what it does is instead of giving a one-for-one one credit, so if you buy a kilowatt hour and you produce a kilowatt hour, they only want to pay you, I think the first year, they want to give you uh, 75% of the retail. Then they want to move it to 50% of retail. And then they want to give you avoided cost, which is three cents. So they want to charge you retail 12 cents and only pay you three cents. So it's really, basically it's a crime. And uh, just as an example, uh, a utility like Florida Power and Light, you know, their profits are about 18 billion a year. So, you know, they, uh, they've paid off the uh, legislators in Tallahassee. I mean, we've had hundreds, hundreds of people testify that, you know, there is no cross subsidy. Uh, we have proof back in my hands here is testimony from the Duke Energy Carolinas that shows that solar actually helps the grid and everybody wins. Everybody does better. And we also have a report from the University of Central Florida that shows, hey, rooftop solar is less costly than utility scale solar. So, you know, while, you know, we go to these hearings in Tallahassee and they just they state over and over and over that. Hey, uh, you know, uh, poor people are subsidizing rich people that get solar. And then the fact of it is, is 35% of everybody that buys a solar system, their income's less than $50,000. So these are hardworking Floridians that want to save money on their electric bill. And if this bill passes, that option to save money on your electric bill, it's gone. So, you know, they just want to take away that freedom. That's a power grab. 
basically, right? Well, one of the most notable findings from the Oops. report this year is the dramatic increase in the number of Proud Boys groups. Well, we'll hear that in just a minute. Sorry about that uh, little snafu there. I'm Sean Canan, and you were just listening uh, to a, an interview I did, a part of an interview with Wayne Wallace, the founder and CEO of Solar Source, speaking on WMNF's Tuesday Cafe in March. And you can watch the full interview. It's on our website, wmnf.org slash news. And I should tell you that, that the legislature did pass that bill, but then the next month it was vetoed by Governor DeSantis. So it's uh, something to watch out for maybe in the future that the legislature might bring something like this back. But there was a lot of pressure on the governor to, to veto this bill because a lot of people said it would hurt the solar power industry, and you heard why there. So if you think that, in, that interviews like this are important, please support your community radio station by calling 813-239-9663 or donating on the web at wmnf.org. And I want to thank some people. Oh, first I should set where we are. Remember, we had a $1,000 goal and we will we'll get a $250 a matching gift if we get five donations of $50 or more. So we're still waiting to hear from two more people to help us to get that challenge gift. And I want to thank some people who donated before the fund drive even started to support this show. We have three anonymous contributions of $100, one's from Indian Rocks, one's from Gulfport, and one's from Sarasota. So thank you to those donors. Also, I want to thank Teresa Radford from Clearwater Beach with a $100 contribution to support Tuesday Cafe and WMNF. Also, John Fagan from Sarasota donating $60. Raymond Wilson from Tampa donating $50. So thank you to everyone who has supported the show so far. We're very close to our goal. We really need those two donations of $50 or more so that we can get that challenge donation of $250. And you can make your contribution of $50 or more by calling 813-239-9663 or donating at WMNF.org. Good morning, everyone. So glad we've been hearing Sean from all over the community, from community radio during this midday public affairs. We've heard from Tampa, Sarasota, Clearwater, Tarpon Springs, um, just abundance. I don't think I've heard from Dunedin yet. So if you're listening in Dunedin, we want to hear from you. Let us know that you love your community radio station by giving just a little bit of your hard-earned money. I know things are so tight right now. Basic listener sponsor, $35. Or... Pick up one of our premiums, like our Peace Magnet, for $60. You'll know who your friends are when you're in the parking lot and you see those Peace Magnets on everybody's car. A WMNF Face Max, $60. A I Love WMNF Tote Bag for $60. And one of my favorites, which also connects us to the community, a pledge of $60 or more. You can say, I want a portion of this to go to Habitat for Humanity. So let folks know. Or our classic T-shirts for $88.50. Become a member of our circle of friends by contributing just a little bit every month, $5 a month, $10 a month, whatever it is, 813-239-9663. And this is a rare moment. Any phone caller that you reach is going to be one of our fabulous volunteer online uh, programmers. Alita, who does Saturday Bluegrass, Tom Collins, who does The 60 Show with Dr. Bob, and a variety of other things at our station. Megan Bowman, who does headlines and the dorm room on Thursday nights, and Cassie, who works with Robin on Wednesday afternoons. Uh, if you listen during uh, three to six p.m. on Wednesdays, you'll you're gonna get one of our online, on-air volunteer programmers if you call right now. Eight one three two three nine nine six six three or online. Hit that donate button. Hit the tip jar. 
at WMNF.org. It'd be really exciting. We got very close in Democracy Now! I believe we were $300 short for Democracy Now! But uh, I think we could hit, hit the goal for this hour nice. if we get those two more donations of $50 or more. Maybe you can join the Circle of Friends for $5 a month. Maybe you can make a one-time $50 or $60 donation. Hey, donate $60 and not only do you help us meet that challenge, but you also will uh, can ask for a portion of that donation to go toward Habitat Humanity for Habitat for Humanity Hillsborough County. So that's that's really important, and that that kind of leads me to my next uh, issue, the next topic we're going to talk about here, and that is housing. Wow, what an important issue in our Tampa Bay community, housing. Well, in March, the United Way Suncoast released a new online dashboard called State of the Housing Crisis. We're going to hear four minutes about that right now. So please call in and support your community radio station that brings you this type of information. You can call 813-239-9663 or donate at WMNF.org. So in this interview on WMNF's Tuesday Cafe, we talked about the new dashboard, what information is there, how you can use it to get help, and why housing in Tampa Bay seems so unaffordable. My guest, Douglas Douglas Griesenauer, is the Director of Workforce Development and Financial Stability for United Way Suncoast. If you are rent cost burdened, it means that you're spending more than 30% of your income on housing. Uh, So when looking at studies about how much people should be spending on their housing, economists say that an individual should be in theory spending less than 30% of their total income. If they're spending more, it means that their housing tends to be outpacing their budgets and it makes it difficult for them to manage their budget on other ways. And so typically when we look at an individual's um, livelihood and their financial stability, In theory, you should be 30% or less of your income on rent. If it's more, you're housing cost burdened. And if it's more than 50%, you're severely housing cost burdened. And obviously, the the more rent cost uh, burdened you you are, the the more you won't be able to uh, afford other essentials like maybe medicine or healthcare or education or childcare things like that. What what makes it so important to to get underneath this 30% threshold for rent? Sure. And so a lot of times when we're talking about how we address housing, we're really looking at how does we how do we make housing affordable and how does it work? But with individuals who are struggling, a dollar is a dollar is a dollar, right? I mean, a dollar that you spend on housing is a dollar that you're not spending on your medicine, that you're not spending on food or transportation. And so when we at United Way are looking at how much it actually costs to get by, we use something that's called an Alice report. Um, it's a report that came out a few years back that stands for individuals. So A-L-I-C-E, it's an acronym. I like to say that it's a fairly silly acronym that describes a very serious topic, um, but individuals who are asset limited, income constrained, but employed, right? So they're working, they're working hard, they're above the federal poverty level, but they're income constrained. Their income is going right back into paying bills, going right back into paying for basic necessities. And so because of that, they're asset limited. And we know that assets tend to be the way to build wealth in our country, and a lot of individuals don't have those opportunities. And so when we look at how much it costs to get by, you know, we have... Uh, data from before the pandemic. So this is before the entire housing crisis happened, before rents have skyrocketed. You know, looking at the costs of individuals in our household, we knew that it cost about $76,000 for a family of four to get by. And so if you're spending more and more on rent, that means you have to spend less and less on, on basic necessities. And we see that day in and day out from individuals in our community. People foregoing you know, three meals a day, people who are foregoing their medicine, uh, trying to stretch out 
their prescriptions and you know a lot of individuals who are trying to look for childcare and instead of being able to go and put their kids you know, in childcare, they're hoping that they can find something in home that may or may not be registered, right? Anytime that someone is struggling with housing, they're struggling with all those other things as well, because income is income and expenses are expenses. Our guest is Doug Griesenauer, the Director of Workforce Development and Financial Stability for United Way Suncoast. We're talking about their new online dashboard about the housing crisis and how housing seems so unaffordable and what you can do to get help. That statistic that we were talking about where one in two families in the Tampa Bay area are rent cost burden, that's just one of the indicators that the United Way Suncoast is tracking in its state of the housing crisis dashboard. Some of the others are uh, rental rates, eviction filings, emergency re- uh, rental assistant dollars. So for example, what can you tell us about the, the um, a number of evictions in the Tampa Bay area? Yeah, so when we're looking at this information, and while we, the reason we built out this, uh, this dashboard is we found that when we were addressing and talking to individuals about housings, you would have a story here about apartment rents going up. You would have a story there about evictions happening. You'd have a story somewhere else about workforce. And they've all tended to be independent stories about what's going on. And so when we looked at this, we tried to see, well, how do we tell those stories together, right? Because an individual's lives and livelihoods are all connected. So to answer your question, looking at evictions, what we've noticed is that evictions have, for the most part, returned to pre-pandemic levels. Um, and honestly, they've returned to pre-pandemic levels months ago. Um, you know. Florida had a moratorium for evictions, but that was a very small window in 2020. And actually for a majority of the late 2021 and now easily into 2022, we see that those uh, evictions have gone up. Um, We actually look at some of our recent data. So the data that we pull from our uh, report here is actually from the Schimberg Center at University of Florida, which does great work looking at evictions. Um, we cross-collaborate with um, a group known as Eviction Lab to also get some data. And looking at both of those different um, data points, we see that evictions are really back to where they were uh, pre-pandemic. And in some weeks, they're they're higher. That's Douglas Griesenauer, the Director of Workforce Development and Financial Stability for United Way Suncoast, speaking about their State of the Housing Crisis online dashboard. You can watch the full interview. It's on WMNF.org slash news. If you think interviews like this one, talking with people in your community who are trying to make a difference, are valuable, please support the station that brings them to you. Donate on the web at WMNF.org slash donate or call 813 813- 239-9663. I'm Sean Canan. I'm the host of Midpoint. And I want to thank David Bryant from Tampa for a $25 contribution. David generously says that, uh, saying that the WMNF News and Public Affairs team is being led excellently, he says. So thank you for that. He says, keep up the great work. So thank you for all those uh, donations that have already come in. We've gotten about seven or eight or nine or 10 donations so far this hour. I'll tell you what, we're still looking for two people to donate $50 or more to help us to meet this challenge. We have a $250 challenge gift out there that if we get five people to donate $50 or more during the show, that we'll get $250. So two more people, you you know, you're out there, you know, you might be able to donate $50 or more to contribute community radio to support shows like Tuesday Cafe. We do need to hear from you. 813-239-9663 or WMNF.org. Tell you what, I I, I want to thank, uh, I want to um, go straight to the next interview. I want to show you why ask why you're supporting community radio, give you an idea of the types of interviews that we do. 
For example, let's talk about congressional redistricting. The Florida legislature is required to redraw congressional districts every 10 years based on new census data. This year, Governor DeSantis vetoed the map of congressional districts that was passed by the legislature. He proposed a new map, which was approved by the legislature during a special session in April. The DeSantis congressional map is being challenged in court, but it looks like it will be in effect for this November's elections. It essentially eliminates a majority black district in North Florida. During the special session, I spoke with Sean Bartelt, the second vice president of the League of Women Voters of Florida, and on the show, she called DeSantis' map an unprecedented autocratic move by our governor. If you support interviews like this, give us a call at at 813-239-9663 or make a donation at WMNF.org. Here's the second vice president of the League of Women Voters of Florida. Well, I definitely uh, feel that this is a very difficult issue because we need to have this district to represent our black voters. And and the legislature actually came forward with a map that was somewhere in between, and he has uh, rejected that as well. The map proposed by the governor eliminates minority of voting advantage and diminishes the influence of black voters, as you've said, in District 10 by reducing the percentage of black voters from 50% to 35%. This violates the Federal Voting Rights Act, which prohibits any voting qualification or practice that results in the denial or abridgment of the right to vote based on race, color, or membership in a language minority. This includes congressional redistricting plans. It also violates our Fair Districts Amendments, which was passed in 2010 by 64% of the state's voters. The amendment states that voting districts shall not be drawn to deny racial or language minorities uh, the equal opportunity to participate uh, in the political process. And this is precisely what the DeSantis map does by eliminating the North Florida Minority Access District. We believe it's crucial to our democracy to preserve the ability for minorities to be represented throughout the government, including Congress. And just a reminder to people that the reason that Governor DeSantis has given for why he wants to eliminate that black majority voting district in North Florida is he considers it to be racially gerrymandered. And that draws the question that in if you look at the map that's proposed by Governor DeSantis, there is another congressional district that stretches nearly as far as Lawson's district does. It goes from Polk County here in the Tampa Bay area, which is where Lakeland is and some other cities there, all the way to Hendry and Collier counties. And so that's a very, you would consider that, I think, on first look, maybe a a really strangely drawn or possibly gerrymandered district that's just about the same length, that is, as the Lawson district that the governor is trying to get rid of in North Florida. And what's interesting is that the district that he says is gerrymandered was approved by the Florida Supreme Court and those maps were put into place. So we're talking about calling something gerrymandered that the courts have approved. The impact here is across the state. There's a significant impact on the district for U.S. Representative Val Demings. I'm in Sarasota County. There's significant impact on Sarasota Manatee 
districts. There's significant impact in Hillsborough and Pinellas County on districts there. There's definitely impact in the Miami area districts as well. So, you know, what's puzzling here is the Republican legislature came up with a map that the leaders said was a fair map that basically adhered to Fair Districts Amendment 4 and was a good map. And he's vetoing what his own legislature says is a good map. And then he's putting forward a map when really the governor, it is not their job to create the maps. In our constitution, it's the legislator's job to create the maps. So we're going into an autocratic kind of zone here uh, where he's vetoing these maps and putting forward his own maps and not allowing you know, the process to work forward where this really is a legislative job, not the governor's job. And then if there's a challenge with that, it would go to the courts. So we have a three-tier system here uh, executive, legislative, and the court system, and he's kind of mucking all that up, which affects everyone in the state of Florida. Well, that was Sean Bartelt, the second vice president of the League of Women Voters of Florida. She spoke on WMNF's Tuesday Cafe in April about the new congressional map drawn by Governor DeSantis. You can watch the full interview. It's on WMNF.org slash news. And these kinds of interviews are what we bring you on commercial-free WMNF, and it remains commercial-free because of your donations. We have a mission of spreading peace and social justice here at WMNF. So if it sounds a little different than some of the radio stations you're you're uh, you're used to hearing if you are used to having people shout at you to buy a new car or shout at you to tell you how how wrong or right somebody is well there's not very much shouting here on WMNF we kind of respect your uh, your adulthood we respect that you're a thinking person and that you can just need to hear some information and you can go out and make your own minds so please give us a call if you support that 813 813- Two three nine nine six six three, or donate on the web at wmnf.org. Some of the other types of shows that I've brought you in the last few months, we we heard live from Tampa City Council the moment that Amanda Hertkak was chosen as the new member. We also talked about the ACA special enrollment period for Obamacare signups. We talked to an art historian who spoke about the cultural history at stake in the invasion of Ukraine. So thanks, Randy Z, for that interview. We also heard about sexual assault awareness with the VA, the Veterans Administration, concerned by mayors of the Pinellas County beaches. We heard about the Tampa lunch counter sit-ins in 1960. So thanks to Sunday Simpkins Joy Katzen Guthrie for that interview. Florida reproductive rights advocates reacted to the apparent SCOTUS decision to overturn Roe. There are some more topics that we talked about. I'm not going to list them all, but I just want to thank everyone who donated during this show. I believe we're going to make this goal. We really still need to hear from two more people to donate $50 or more, and we will meet that challenge. But And, and Democracy Now! came up about $300 short if you'd like to make a donation in support of Democracy Now! And I'd especially like you to just tune in and, and support the next show, which is which is um, Tuesday, what is it called? Wavemakers with Janet and Tom Sherberger. And next, the next two weeks, I want you to turn in. Next week, we'll hear from Congressmember Kathy Castor and from advocates about why they oppose drilling in the Gulf of Mexico. And then we'll continue the environment and water theme two weeks from today when we'll hear about a proposed amendment to the Florida Constitution that guarantees the right of all of us to clean water. Thanks so much for your support. You're listening to WMNF Tampa. 
St. Petersburg, Sarasota, and Lakeland.